0: right it's not uh, this is not our show it's God's it's not not to us Lord not it's to your it's your glory God and boy yeah so I just want to encourage you this morning to if you would uh, look up Romans chapter 8 I'll be there in a moment I always like you to look up one Bible verse but we're going to look at a number of scriptures this morning And I want to just say one thing quick, and that is this Thursday, I do hope you can come. I know that it's the middle of the work day and the work week and all of that, so uh, so yes, it might be difficult for most folks, but if you get a lunch break at all, it's worthwhile um, going to the state capitol on Thursday at noon to pray, and um, so i'm I just think it 's exciting what god 's doing. One of the things I know about revivals in the in history is this that uh, they don 't happen without prayer, and uh, prayer is the common denominator between every revival in history and The cool thing is that right now you and I get to live at this point in history when prayer is becoming front and center in what the church is doing, right? And uh, what's happening here in Manchester is nothing short of historic with the way that the church is coming together for prayer. And then, you know, now we have uh, Franklin Graham going around to all the state capitals leading prayer rallies. I mean, I I really think that uh, our grandkids and great-grandkids will read about the revival that took place in this area, and you and I will have had a part and laying the groundwork for that in our prayer. So I do hope Thursday you can be there. I'm planning to be there, and um, I hope it's a big crowd. So stepping stones is such an important word to our in our value statement as a church that early on, 20 years ago, when we were first contemplating names for this new church that was forming, one of the names was Stepping Stones Church. And some of you might be glad we decided to call it New River, but Stepping Stones Church was one of the possibilities because I can't think of anything more valuable, of of any greater honor than to be used by God to propel someone else to do greater and bigger things than I could have done. The concept of Stepping Stones is that you use my shoulders to get to where God is taking you. And Stepping Stones, is the, it's the heart of Jesus. I mean, Jesus had that same heart for his 12 disciples. He said, he said you'll do greater things than these because I go to the Father. I mean, his, in, his, in, his intention for them was that they would do greater, do more. It's amazing. And that's the heart of any really serious disciple maker is to see the person that they're investing in go further than they could it's a privilege to stand in that person's shadow, to know that I had a part in them getting to where God wanted to take them, right? And so that's stepping stones, is, is it's just a key um, attitude, really, when it comes to making disciples, and we've just sort of stumbled on this the last couple of weeks, honestly. I didn't plan to talk about discipleship at the beginning of the year, but it just seemed to fit here. In the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about it. Two weeks ago, we learned that the word disciple, it, it means student. It's the, it's the Bible word for student. And so if I'm a disciple of Jesus, I've signed up for the school of Jesus. And uh, he's the best teacher ever. And I'm learning from him. And so to make disciples means that I'm helping someone else to become a student of Jesus also. And we're students of Jesus together. And we're, we're both enrolled in the school of Jesus, and we're learning from him. And we've uh, learned two weeks ago, I challenged us to begin praying that God would give you a disciple. And I trust that you've been doing that, made that a part of your daily prayer. God, give me a disciple. I'm looking for someone. And then last Sunday, we talked about the really importance of having someone to disciple you as you disciple someone else. And so we looked at the relationship in the Bible between Barnabas and the Apostle Paul and Timothy, right? And we noted that we would have no Apostle Paul if it wasn't for Barnabas. And Barnabas was Paul's encourager. He was his discipler. And then Paul, of course, made multiple disciples, but one of his famous ones was Pastor Timothy, and we have First and Second Timothy, the letters to them, him in our New Testament. So we talked about that last Sunday. But the question you might be asking is, well, how? What, what do we do? Where do we go? Okay, so I got my guy. You know, everybody, everybody get a buddy and I got my buddy and I, now we're meeting together for coffee every Tuesday morning and now what? Now where do we go, right? It's kind of a big thing. Having a map is helpful and knowing where you're going is helpful, right? And the good news is this. The Bible, in the Bible, God has given you exactly where it is that he wants you to go, where he's taking you. So you don't even have to guess it It's spelled out for us in black and white where it is that he's taking us in the pathway of discipleship. The good news is it's so clear in God's mind that God actually created the world with this in mind. That God's actually been thinking about this before he made the world. So it's that clear where God is taking you, right? And we read that in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 verse You know, I just want to read the whole paragraph, verses 28 through 30. Verse 29 is the one we're really honing in on, but it's a good paragraph. So, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, That he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. It says that God, those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. That word predestined, it means... God's determined to make it happen. It means that God's been thinking about God like made you with this in mind. This is not some, an afterthought for God. God's literally been planning on this for a very long time. He predestined you to be conformed to the likeness of his son. See, so what's God doing? Where's God taking you? He wants to make you just like Jesus. That's that's it. You know, you get the puzzle, and you got the picture on the box, and the picture on the box helps you to know what it is you're making so that you don't go astray. Jesus is the picture on the box. And your life and mine, it's broken up in pieces. We come to God in pieces. Here they are, right? And they're all there, and the pieces begin to get put back together, right? Right? But the picture on the box is Jesus. That's where God's taking you. You want to know where God's taking you? That's where he's taking you. He has every intention of making you just like Jesus. And it says, why would he want to make us like Jesus? Well, that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. In other words, Jesus is the prototype of what you and I are to become. Right? Right? I mean, I've got, every one of us has a car, you know, most of us have a car out there in the parking lot. There was a prototype to that car at one point. The manufacturer built the very first one. It cost them a lot of money to put the first one of those together, and that gave them the picture of where it was they were headed, and now they have... How many thousands or millions of that particular kind of car that they've made now over and over and over and over again? Jesus, he's the prototype. God's like, here he is. This is what I'm doing. And his goal is that the rest of us begin to look more and more and more and eventually look exactly like that. It's where he's taking us. But then you say this. Maybe you wonder, okay, but still... Why? Why do I have to be just like Jesus? I mean, okay, I get it. He's Jesus. Okay, great. But no, but really, serious, you know, like, really? Why? What's the rationale? Why would God want me to be just like Jesus? We're going to answer that question at the very end today. So sit tight on that question. Why would God want to make you just like his son, Jesus? There's a path that God takes us that we all got to follow. You know, one of the things I love about our Father is our Father knows all the ways that you and I have to change, and yet he doesn't dump that all on us at once. Aren't you glad for that? You know, one of the ways that that the devil deals with us differently than the way God deals with us is the devil flips on the floodlight. He wants you to be overwhelmed by everything that's broken, all that has to be done. The floodlight, high-powered, you stand there overwhelmed. Listen, if you're sitting here this morning and that's where you're at, you need to know the devil's messing with you. Just know that. Because our Father doesn't deal with you that way. Our Father deals with you with a pin light, you know, the, the one the doctor keeps in his pocket, and he pulls it out, and he shines it in your pupil, that one. That's the way that God deals with it. He goes, you know, son, daughter, hey, let's work on that. And now, and now let's go there, let's do this, and let's deal with that one at a time. And Satan's trying to flip on the floodlight, and God's shutting him down. Let's work on that, Right? So, I love the way our Father deals with us. One change at a time. He knows all the ways that you and I have to change. Isn't that amazing? I mean, He knows it. God knows every way that you're going to fail, every way you're going to blow it in the next however long you're walking on this planet. He knows it all. And yet, He's patiently working with us each part of the way. I love that about our Father. And so. What's the pathway that God's taken us down? Where is he leading us in the process of becoming more and more like his son? How does he do that? The Bible gives us word pictures that we can follow. You and I, you know, we know, you know, I've said it before, Jesus didn't die on a cross to make us religious, right? He, he died on a cross in order to make us right with himself in relationship, And we know that, but yet instinctively we try to measure our relationship with Jesus based by religious things. And it doesn't work, does it? I mean, I I can't say that I'm closer to God because I read my Bible more. Or I, you know, I'm going to, I've went to church like every Sunday for the last six weeks. I'm really flying in my walk with Jesus. I'm cruising. No, not really. You can know the Bible inside and out and not know Jesus Jesus, Jesus actually confronted the Pharisees about that, right? In the New Testament, in the book of John, Jesus told the Pharisees, you guys diligently study the Scriptures because you think by them you find eternal life, yet they speak about me. And Jesus is so, you know, was almost like, McFly, look. You know, like the Son of God is standing in front of them in the flesh, Right? He's like, you've been studying me your whole lives. Here I am. And they didn't see him. They didn't. So it's possible for you and me to know the Bible inside and out and still not be any closer to Jesus. So how do I know if I'm getting closer? How do I know if, you know, in the process of making me just like Jesus, how do I know if I'm getting any closer to that? Well... I guess the, uh, the, the honest answer is you, you, don't, you, you, don't, you don't really measure that. It's hard to measure it, right? Uh, my wife and I have been married 28 years. I can't tell you that I'm more married now than I was 28 years ago. Is that possible to be more married? I don't think so. But yet I know that our relationship is richer and more intimate and deeper and closer. But how do I measure that? I don't know. I just know it. Right? And, and my relationship with Jesus works the same way. It's really, I can't measure it on numbers of hours I spend or how many Bible verses I've got memorized. You just can't measure it in those terms. It doesn't work. And that's why I love what God does in the Bible, because in the Bible, God gives us word pictures of different relationships that help us to understand what this relationship looks like as it gets deeper. And we all start at the same spot. We start as a lump of clay. There's six pictures. I just want to lay them out just in an outline form for you. But this gives you the pathway. You know where God's taking you. There's the potter and the clay, and there's the sheep and the shepherd, and then there's the master and the servant, and then there's friends And then there's the brother and the sibling. And then, the best of all, there's the groom and there's the bride. And so we begin as a lump of clay. The first lesson that we need to learn in our journey with Jesus is we've got to learn our purpose. Our purpose tells us our place. And we learn that through the relationship of potter and clay. Look at what Isaiah says Yet, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, you are the potter, we are all the work of your hand. Another verse says in Jeremiah, like clay in the hand of a potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel, God speaking. And then Romans 9 is a really tough passage actually for us to swallow a lot of times. People get hung up on it because God says, hey, look it, I'm the potter. Don't I have the right to make out of the same lump of clay an item for noble purposes and an item for ignoble purposes? Can I make an ashtray just as much as I can make a Ming vase? I'm the potter, right? We have a hard one with that. That's a tough one for us to swallow because what if I'm the ashtray, right? But the truth is we've got to come to terms with this very important lesson. He's the potter, I'm the clay. That makes him God, not me. He's the creator, I'm the creation. That's the proper order, I start there. If I don't, and you notice in our society today, we're working really hard to ignore this most foundational truth, are we not? We're fighting hard to be our own gods, to create our own destiny. To, to define our own lives, right? I get to do whatever I want to do, whatever I feel like doing. God goes, oh, no, you do I'm the potter. You're the clay. You are what I make you. Oh, does that not bother even some of you, perhaps? You think. It rubs you the wrong way. Yeah, because you're rebellious, as am I. We're all rebels. We don't like that foundational truth. But, the, but stop and think about it. Have you ever considered this? Have you ever thought about all the things in your life that you had no choice over? I didn't choose my parents. I didn't choose when I was born. Nor did I choose where I was born. I didn't choose the color of my skin. I didn't choose my gender. There are so many things about you and me that we don't get to choose that are simply made there that way, right? I, didn't, I don't choose my talents. You ever thought why, about Why is it that some, that some people can sing like a bird and then somebody else sings and it's just, you know, nails on a chalkboard? What's, what's the difference there? How'd that happen? Potter, clay. Why is it that some guys just ripple with muscles? And no matter how hard I try, oh, I ripple, but it's not muscles, right? <laughs> Why, how does that work? Why, it's, and sometimes I stand at the gym and I go, that ain't fair. How does that work, right? Well, it's the potter. He made, I mean, there's different body types. Some people are thin, just naturally skinny. Some people can't gain weight to save their lives, And other people, you know, they put the weight here, the weight there. Just how does that work? I didn't choose my IQ. God created me with that. Now, you and I are given potential. We always have potential within the realm of how God made us, true? And I can maximize that, absolutely. And it's probably very safe to say that nobody maximizes their full potential, right? Right? But the truth is, there's a potter, and we're the clay. I learn my purpose first. And when I learn my purpose, everything else begins to fall into place. But if I don't learn my purpose, then my whole life is out of kilter. But I don't stay there, because the next phase in growing in our relationship with Jesus is sheep and shepherd. That he's the shepherd and we're the sheep You know, we love Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I love that verse. And then Psalms 100, know that the Lord is God it is he who made us and we are his, we're his people, we're the sheep of his pasture. So Isaiah says that we all like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way. And in John chapter 15 or John chapter 10 rather, Jesus says my sheep no, my voice. You know the difference between a sheep and a lump of clay is a sheep can respond to its shepherd. Clay doesn't respond, right? My, we have these chickens. My wife is the chicken whisperer. I, she, she walks, we'll let them roam sometimes in the backyard. They like to get bugs and stuff. And I don't know how they eat those, but they do. So they're out there. Karis goes out in the yard. They follow her. They just, cry, cry, cry. they run wherever they are in the yard to follow Karis, right? It's kind of fun, you know? My fry pan, I can talk to it all day long, and it's not talking back, right? Isn't that kind of the heart, it's sort of what, isn't there a certain delight that we get in in our dog? Isn't that why we like dogs? Because they respond to us. It's kind of, they, they wag their tail, and... The dog likes me. He digs me. We like that. There's The sheep, the chickens, they follow me around the yard. It's kind of fun. They respond to me. Don't you think that our father takes delight in the same? Hey, hey, he likes me. He's following me. Hey, child. And we come. Our ears are listening to the father, right? I think he delights in that. As we respond to his voice. He loves that. What we learn as the sheep is we learn the sound of his voice. We learn to hear his voice. This is a really important step in our growth with him, isn't it? If I'm going to have a relationship with God, we talk. And if we're going to talk, I need to learn his voice. Do I not? Isn't that part of the struggle that many people feel? Perhaps even some of you. You say, I've never heard God's voice. I don't even know what it sounds like. You, you hear other Christians talk about how they talk to God, and it almost sounds like they're just, you know, they're shaving, talking to God. He's just talking to them. We're driving down the road, talking to God. And you get jealous. You say, how does that happen? I never, I don't hear God like that. You can. You really can. It's the sheep and the shepherd. He wants to teach you his voice. You need to learn the sound of his voice. It's an important part in your relationship with him because he wants to grow in intimacy with you, and he wants to have a relationship. He wants to communicate with you. He does. That's the lesson of sheep and shepherd. But he doesn't stay there. The next step is that we become his servants, and he is our master, Master and servant. See, the sheep, as a sheep, I learn his voice. As his servant, I learn to obey his voice. There's a big difference, isn't there? Hearing the voice of God and then actually obeying it. Oh, that's an important step we've got to take in our walk with him, don't we not? In fact, part of the reason why many people don't hear the voice of God is because they don't obey the voice of God. Why would God keep talking if you're not obeying? See? In fact, and I, I've learned, I'm learning in my own walk with Him that um, at times is, you know, that at times He'll stop talking, and I've discovered it's because, if I go back far enough, I realize, oh, I stopped listening right about there. <laughs> so then I repent and submit, and yes, Father, I want to hear Your voice, and I want to obey Your voice. And then okay, now we can begin a communication again. We can we can start talking again, right? We keep going. The master and the servant, Leviticus chapter 25 verse 55, God says to the Israelites, the Israelites belong to me as servants. They are servants whom I brought out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. In Romans chapter 6 it says, "Now that you have been set free from sin and you've become slaves to God, The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. You say, wait a second, God set me free so that I'd become a slave? Yeah. Yeah. I know slavery is another concept that bugs us Americans a lot, but it's pretty prevalent in Scripture. The the truth is... Freedom for you and me is not found in breaking all the rules and living without rules. Freedom for you and me is found within the confines of how God designed us, right? And that's a really important lesson, again, for me to learn, is that God knows what's best. His will is perfect, and what I really need is His will. And God wants me to come to the place where His will becomes my will and my will becomes His will, where it's not even a question, really right? It's his will. And the prayer that a, a, a servant of God often prays is, God, tell me what you want. What do you want me to do? What's your will for my life, God? That's a great prayer to pray. And then to do it. It's great that we're progressing. I mean, you know what? I'm not clay anymore. And I'm not a sheep anymore. At least now I'm a human in the master and the servant word picture, Right? So I learn not only to hear his voice, but I learn to obey his voice. But you know what Jesus does? In John chapter 15, 15, Jesus absolutely turns this whole thing around. I love John 15, 15 because it's like because it's like the fork in the road where we're going this way and Jesus goes, we're going that way now. He changes it. Jesus says this in John 15, 15. He goes, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. I call you friends because everything the Father has told me, I tell you. So you're my friends. Jesus changes the game. You know, I think... It's cool. You and I as servants, we can't demand friendship, right? But he as the master can change the relationship, can he not? Okay, we're the ma- I'm the master, you're the servant. But you know what? Let's change that. Let's be friends. Wow. Who wouldn't want that? And in friendship with Jesus, we learn something very important. We learn how to enjoy his presence. We learn his presence. I want to enjoy Jesus through the day all day not just at church you know but all day at work at home school wherever I am enjoy his presence there to learn how to enjoy his presence through the day not just once a week or when I'm reading my Bible occasionally but all the time what does that look like what does friendship with Jesus look like you know we I remember, I'm old enough to remember, uh, you know, when the whole God is your friend thing really came on the scene. You know, it's not always been that way, and maybe you've forgotten that yourselves. But uh, I grew up in the church, you know, in the 60s, 70s, and I mean... Back then, Bill Bright was the founder of Campus Crusade, and he wrote the four spiritual laws, and they were awesome. They still are awesome. i not, not knocking the four spiritual laws in the slightest. God used him to lead many, many, many people to Christ around the world. And, and back then, the concept was, you're a sinner. Jesus died for your sin. You need to accept Jesus as your Savior today and get your sins forgiven. Great. Absolutely necessary. But the concept of being Jesus' friend, that wasn't really too prevalent in the 60s, 70s, and before. Until the end of the 70s, the early 80s, that's kind of when the concept of Jesus being your friend, that really seemed to come on the scene. And it's a good thing. We dare not forget that he's our Savior. I'm not suggesting at all that we water this down. But wow, the idea, what I'm saying is you and I are so used to hearing that Jesus is our friend that I wonder if we've just become numb to it and we've forgotten how revolutionary it is that you could actually be the friend of the second person in the Trinity, the friend of God. That's an awesome privilege that words can't even begin to describe. But in my experience, here's what I've discovered happens in my own life. I'll tell you this, God is more of a friend to me. I'm not much of a friend to God. Have you experienced that? I mean, when I talk about being God's friend, really it's God's being my friend. I don't know that I've really been much of a friend to Him. The other night I was praying, and we were, I was on my, one of my prayer walks with Jesus, and and we were just talking about friendship and... And uh, and then I stopped praying, and I just kind of walked silently for a little bit, a few minutes, and and then suddenly had this thought: Well, Jesus, what's on your mind tonight? What are you thinking about tonight? Because don't you think He has stuff on His mind? I think He does. So what are you thinking, Jesus? Isn't that how friends talk? I mean, it's not all one-sided. It's not all me just dumping on him. I mean, I want to hear what's on his heart. And and uh, I don't know what night, the, Wednesday night or Thursday night, I don't know which, whichever night it was, but what I sensed that was on his heart was our kids in Kenya that we've been trying to support, these kids. And So we just spent time talking about those kids and the work in Kenya and the ministry there and the needs that were there and all that. And I thought, Mm, That's friendship. We're just chatting. It's not my list of all the things I want or need. It's just talking about what's important to him and what's on his heart. Hmm. Friendship with Jesus. It's beautiful. (laughs) It's beautiful. I love Psalms 2519. It says the secret of the Lord, or it's twenty four nineteen, I think it is. It's, It's the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, those who place their hope in his unfailing love. The secret of the Lord. God has secrets. He has stuff on his heart that he would love to be able to share with somebody who's willing to listen, who wants to know it. Do you want to be that kind of person? Are you that kind of person? that would say, God, I want to know your heart, God. I want, to, I want to know what it is you're dreaming about, God. Could you make me that guy, your go-to guy? I want to be your go-to guy, God, the one, the one that you go to at the end of the day, the one that you can share your thoughts and your dreams and your hopes and your crazy ideas with. I want to hear them, God. I want to be that guy. Hmm. But you know, Jesus doesn't want us just to stay there as friends, as as great as that is. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11 is a verse that absolutely transformed my life, and it says this, The one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. Therefore, he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Jesus and I are part of the same family. The same context says that Jesus had to become like his brothers in order to save us. He had to become like us. But the Bible doesn't say just like us. It uses the word brothers and sisters. He had to become like us in order to save us. I find that mind-blowing. And then I see you know, that in Romans chapter 8 that God gives us the spirit of sonship it says. And by that spirit, we call him Abba, which means Daddy, Daddy, Father. In your prayer, have you, ever, have you ever been so brazen enough as to start a prayer by saying, Daddy, I want to talk to you today about... Does that sound weird to you? I confess it's not comfortable to me completely, right? But yet that's the spirit of sonship, by which we cry, Abba, Father. And then it says that we're heirs, and we're co-heirs. with Jesus shares his inheritance with us. That's amazing. Wow. So wait a second. Before you and I came along, Jesus was the sole heir of it all? Yep. And now he has to share it with us? Yes. How does Jesus feel about that? Well, he died to make it happen, so I think he's in on it. Right? You're a co-heir. That makes you his sibling. Whoa. And then we know the prayer, our Father. Jesus says, here's how you pray, our Father. So when you pray, we go to prayer. Jesus is always interceding. He's always talking to the Father. He and the Father are in constant communion. When you and I go to prayer, we're kind of coming into a conversation that's already happening. And, and, we, and we're not just doing that uninvited. Jesus actually invited us to do it. He said, hey, when you pray, say, our Father. When he, so come on in anytime. He gave you, a, gave you and me an open door policy. Come on in. Let's go talk to our Father so you and I join in the conversation. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. The first question in prayer is, Father, what's on your heart? What's what's Father and Son talking about these days? I want to join in that conversation and be a part of that. And I want to be a part of being the legs and feet that make it happen on this planet. You see how prayer works? That's prayer. As a brother or as a sister of Jesus Christ, as his brother and sister, we learn something really important. I've gotten off our lesson. I'm sorry. So did I miss the friend one? Yeah, friend, we learn his presence. And then as his brother or sister, we learn partnership. We learn how to partner with him in the family business, which is advancing the kingdom on this planet. That's the family business. You want to find out what's on the heart of God? It's the kingdom. What's the kingdom of God? You know, the kingdom of God is anywhere that God's rule is, is, uh, is obeyed, completely. It's the king's domain, kingdom. It's That's what it is. You know that God's will is not always done on earth. You notice that, right? You say, what? It's not. The Bible says that God wills that none should perish, and yet at the same time we know that many people will end in hell. So obviously God's will is not always accomplished. There are many people who will who will miss god's will for their lives right and so the kingdom is anywhere that god's will is done right it's his domain and jesus the scripture tells us the kingdom is righteousness and peace and joy and the holy spirit in the kingdom there's freedom there's healing i mean in the the kingdom rights all of the wrongs right and jesus describe the kingdom as being like a like yeast that goes in a lump of dough and it influences the whole piece of dough and it rises. And the kingdom is like this subversive almost kind of uh, you know entity that's at work around our world. And you and I get to be a part of that, to right the wrongs, to make just the injustice, to bring healing to the sickness, to bring hope to the hopeless and help to the helpless. And you know what I mean? to To give homes to flood victims and I mean, on and on and on and on it goes. Everywhere you see that happening, you see the kingdom of God at work. You and I get to be a part of that. So, as brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, we learn partnership with Him in the advancement of the family business, right? Do you see why it's so essential that we take these important steps, right? I got to learn my purpose. It's not just the Doug Rouse show, it's about Him and then i 've got to learn his i 've got to learn how to hear his voice because he wants to work with me. We work together in this, and then i 've got to learn to obey his voice it 's not just okay great god i 'm doing my own thing anyway i 've got, I've, I've got to learn to come into partnership with him and what he 's doing that 's where I find that 's friend that 's where your life and mine begins to fire on all cylinders when i 'm right with God. Everything is right. When I'm not right with God, oh man, the wheels fall off. And that's what he's doing. He's forming me into his likeness. And there's one more phase, and I confess, I don't get it fully. And so I'll just be really quick. But the last one is groom and bride. I cannot, I do not I do not understand this. I mean, I get little glimpses of it. Every once in a while, I see pieces, and I think, oh, that's cool. I know it's cool. But here's the deal. Why? Why does God want to form you into the likeness of his son? Remember, we asked that question earlier. Why is that such a big deal? Because he wants to marry you. And the one who commanded us to not be unequally yoked would not break his own command. Jesus does not want to be unequally yoked for all of eternity. He wants to be equally yoked. And so you and I must be formed into the likeness of Jesus. We must be. In order to be partnered with him for all of eternity. Now don't hear me wrong. You, you don't become God. That's wrong. That is fallacy, heresy, heresy. Wrong, wrong, wrong. You are not a God. But you become co-equal. He wants to share it with you. Again, I confess, I don't fully understand it, but I find it amazing that Jesus would actually want that kind of relationship with me. See, what you learn when it comes to the being his bride is this. I learned covenant. I learn what a covenant is. I learn covenant relationship. I get little glimpses of it. One of them is found in Job. Job said this Yet though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Habakkuk said, You know, even though the figs don't blossom and no sheep in the stall, and he goes, Yet uh, I trust him. Right, covenant means Jesus. I'm in this for sickness, for health, richer, for poorer, good and bad. I'm I'm in. I'm not bailing out, Jesus. I'm in. I'm locked in to relationship with you. I'm not going anywhere, Jesus. It's the it's the word. It's it's what Peter came to when in John. uh, I think it's John um, six or seven when. You know Jesus preached to this huge crowd of people, and then the next day they all left him because he preached a sermon they didn't like to hear. And the last ones left were the twelve disciples of Jesus, and 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 Jesus says, Peter, you know, says to them, "Are you going to leave me too?" And Peter says, uh, "Where else are we going to go, Lord? You have the words of life." That's that's a bride talking. He says, "I'm in it. I'm in it, Jesus. I'm in it. Not going anywhere." a covenant relationship is like that. A lot of us are tempted along the way to bail out on Jesus, right? Times get tough, I'm out. The road gets a little rocky, done. You know, I tried praying that 10 prayer, those 10 prayers and none of them got answered, so God must not be real. I'm history. True, do we not? I mean, I've done the same, I do it. We all... bride the bride says, "No, Lord." In sickness and in health and richer for poorer. I'm in it. Not bailing. God says these, these scriptures. Do you see these scriptures? Isaiah 54, 5. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. Do you see that I'm not making that up? How about the one in Hosea? God says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth- I'm going to marry you. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, we, many of us know the passage. Paul's talking about husbands and wives and husbands laying down your life for your wives and wives submitting to your husbands. He talks about that whole passage. And then, and then you come to this verse in that passage in the same context. And Paul's like, you know, this is all a really big, profound mystery, but I'm really talking about Christ and the church. That's really it. So, so <laughs> I'm really talking about how Jesus marries his people. That's what I'm talking about. Wow. And then Revelation, the very last chapter of Revelation, the Holy Spirit and the bride together beckon the world to come. Right? I mean, it's all through Scripture. You see God's heart. His desire is to marry you and to spend forever with you. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, the Father and I will come, we'll make our home with you. We're going we're to build a home together, family. So we learn covenant. Like I said, I don't know that I'm there, but want to go there. <laughs> and here's what I also find this. I find in my walk with Jesus that it's not like step, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, but it's more like a Corkscrew, and so I I'm, I learned this lesson here, and then I come back around and I learn the same lesson but on a deeper level, and then I come back around and the same lesson but on yet a deeper level, and that seems to be the way that we grow in Christ. You you notice that you're like why do I keep circling back to some of these same themes in my walk with Jesus? Well, yeah, you are. It's good. That's a good thing. He's taking you deeper and deeper. And deeper. And so that's why you can't take these word pictures and say, okay, uh, potter and clay, moving on, got that one done, to the next one. It does not work that way. You'll find that there will always be reminders, you're the clay, buddy, you're the clay. (laughs) And uh, oh, by the way, you'll catch yourself someday like, oh yeah, I'm acting like a sheep right now. Yep, I got that, right? And oh this is kind of friendship. This feels like friendship. And then I'm back to the sheep. <laughs> so it's it's a process. But the cool thing is this that now that these pictures give you give you language, right, to put onto your deepening relationship with Jesus. And that's really how they're helpful. So where is he taking you? What's the pathway to discipleship? That's it we we got to pick up on these important things as we grow closer in our walk with Him. Hmm. I just love Jesus. (laughs) I just find it amazing that God would plan to have this kind of relationship with the likes of you and me, don't you? It's part of uh, how I know it's the truth. Because if... uh, a man came up with this, it wouldn't nearly be anything close to this, I don't think. Who would have thought that the God of the universe would actually want to create a ragtag bunch? I mean, look at us. It, 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 and then desire to be in relationship with us for all of eternity and, and want to share with us. I mean, that's just amazing. Have you not found it amazing when you've prayed for somebody and seen it work? <laughs> Isn't it humbling? You say, whoa, that, that was totally not me. <laughs> right? I'm like a kid in a candy store sometimes when I see, when that, it's amazing. What a privilege it is to know Jesus and to grow in love with Jesus. Yeah, well, let's pray. <laughs> Jesus, I am amazed by you. I don't even know where to go from there, but wow. Lord, I guess I say to you, yes, I'm in. I'm in for this ride. If uh, you're creating me to be like you so that I can be fit for you for all of eternity, yes. Yes. Sign me up, Jesus. I'm in your school. Jesus, I can't think of anything better to be or to do than to be in relationship with you and to get to represent you in this world. Amazing. Lord, I pray that you would make us good stepping stones for one another, that we would serve in that way for each other, helping to propel one another to new heights, to greater places with you. I ask Jesus in your name, amen.